I'd ask everybody else to turn with me in your Bibles uh, to Genesis chapter 7. That's where we're going to start. Genesis chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in the, in the pew close to you. Uh, and uh, if you don't have a Bible at home, uh, if you'd locate that pew Bible, we would love for you to take that home as our gift to you. Uh, we're right in the middle of the great flood narrative in the book of Genesis. And last week we saw that the story of Noah and the ark is really and ultimately a story about God and his grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor toward sinners. We cannot initiate it. We cannot earn it. But God freely extends his grace and his love to the undeserving. No matter who you are, no matter what your background is, no matter what has been done to you or what you have done, God's grace can change everything for you. And we see God's grace at work in Noah's life. Often when we hear this story, it's presented at as, as everyone in the world was bad. True, the scriptures tell us that. But Noah was good. And God saw Noah's goodness. And so because Noah was good, God saved him from his judgment in the flood. The, the moral often seems to be, be good like Noah and God will reward you. The problem with that presentation of this story is the Bible. When we read this story in the Bible, what we see is that God's grace precedes Noah's goodness. God's grace comes before Noah's goodness. Yes, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. But before that, we see that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah's practical righteousness was not the basis of God's favor. It was the result of God's favor on his life. God's grace brought Noah into relationship with God. God's grace provided what Noah needed. First, faith to believe what God said, and then obedience to do what God said to build the ark. Grace changes everything for Noah. And we're going to see more of God's grace toward Noah in the scriptures this morning in the hopes that we will see that grace changes everything for us too. And it's a longer passage this morning, so we're going to take it in sections. So before we come to God's word together, let's ask for God's help. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is true, that you have inspired it and preserved it and kept it for us so that in your word we might behold wonderful things. We might behold your character and your nature and your glory. That we might, in your word, see the story that has become our story, a story of your grace. And Lord, that we might be transformed by your spirit working through and with your word in our hearts into the very image of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name and for his glory that we pray and wait for your grace. Amen. Whether we realize it or not, whether you know God or not, the reality is that your life is a testimony to his grace. 
The fact that this morning your heart is beating and your lungs are taking in air and expelling it, that you have active brain waves is surely by the grace of God. Author Brennan Manning says it this way, grace proclaims the awesome truth that all is gift. All that is good is not ours by right, but by sheer bounty of a gracious God. It is not a reward for our faithfulness or our generous disposition or our heroic life of prayer. Even our fidelity, even our faithfulness is a gift. If we but turn to God, says St. Augustine, that itself is a gift of God. My deepest awareness of myself is that I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ and I have done nothing to earn it or to deserve it. A life transformed by grace says my deepest awareness of myself is that I am loved by Jesus Christ and that I have done nothing to earn it or deserve it. The story of Noah and the flood is not a story about Noah's heroism and his faithfulness. It is a story about God and his grace. And that is good news for those of us who are not heroes. It's good news for those of us who are sinners in need of God's grace. And we see God's grace in the passages that we're going to read today. We see God's grace toward Noah in the midst of his judgment on the world. And we're going to see God's grace to us as well in at least three ways in this account of the flood. The first way is this. By grace, God saves Noah. By grace, God saves Noah. Look with me at chapter 7. We're going to read uh, the whole chapter. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights. And every living thing that I have made will blot out from the face, I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. After seven days, the, flood, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were opened and rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah and his son, his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wives and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind and all the livestock according to their kinds and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him and the Lord shut him in. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. 
The waters increased and bore up the ark and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swam on the earth and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of li- in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark and the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. So God's judgment is coming on the earth justly because of human depravity and human violence. This is God's just response to human rebellion because as we've been saying every week, we know the wages of sin is what? Death. And God had instructed Noah to build this ark, this massive boat that would have room for him and for his wife and for his three sons and their wives and for uh, kinds of every animal on the earth. Now God tells Noah to go into the ark with his whole household with seven pairs of the clean animals and two pairs of the unclean animals and all the birds. Because in one week, God is going to send the flood to wipe out humanity and every living thing that he made. And Noah, by grace, hears God's word. He believes it. And he obeys God's word by grace. He gets on the ark with his wife and his three sons and all the animals. And the raindrops start to fall. And after they are all safely in the ark, I love what it says at the end of verse 16. It says, and the Lord shut him in. And the Lord shut him in. Yes, Noah trusted God and obeyed God in building the ark, but ultimately it was God's grace that protected and saved and kept Noah and his family through the flood. The Lord shut them in. You know, at the early part of the 20th century, the largest uh, passenger boat to, to ever set sail, there were rumors being whispered about how it was un- indestructible and unsinkable. And as passengers were loading onto this massive ocean liner, uh, one of the passengers who was getting on was heard to say, is it really unsinkable? And one of the employees overheard and said, oh, yes, ma'am. Not even God himself could sink this boat. Of course, you know that that ocean liner was the Titanic. And that it sank tragically on its maiden voyage. And not so with the ark. God, by his grace, told Noah to build the ark and instructed him how. God, by his grace, warned Noah that the flood was coming and told him to get into the ark. God, by his grace, shut the door of the ark so that Noah and his family and the animals would pass safely through the waters of judgment. And this helps us. It helps us see that when we try to save ourselves, when we believe the story of self-reliance and earned favor, when we think that we can merit favor before God, it's like we're constructing a big ship for ourselves and trying to convince ourselves that not even God himself could sink this ship. 
But when we rely on ourselves, we're on the Titanic, not the ark. And we will sink. When we are looking to God to save us, when we look to God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, then He shuts us in. He saves us and He keeps us. He preserves us by His grace. So then it rains after the whole family and all the animals are on the ark for 40 days and 40 nights. And the waters rise above the mountaintops so that everything on the earth receives the wages of human sin, death. Only Noah and his family, those who were with him, are saved from God's judgment. And the waters prevail on the earth for 150 days. And what we see in this next section is not only does God save Noah in the flood, by grace, God sustains Noah through the flood. By grace, God sustains Noah. Look with me at chapter 8, verses 1 through 14. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed and the rain from the heavens was restrained and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the water had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. At the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot. She returned to the ark for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. And he waited another seven days. And again, he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening and behold, in her mouth, was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove and she did not return to him anymore. In the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried off from the earth and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Now, I don't know about you, but I didn't grow up my whole life in North Carolina, and these North Carolina winters sometimes get to me. Uh, it's not necessarily because of the cold, which I kind of enjoy. It's because it's standard time, and it gets dark at 4.30 in the afternoon. And it's because so many days the, the sky is gray, and so many days we'll just have rain in a row. My wife looked at me yesterday after we had this walk on this beautiful day on the Greenway, and she says, guess what? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, it's raining. But see, Noah would laugh at my weakness. Noah experienced 40 straight days of rain, followed by 150 straight days of seafaring on the floodwaters, followed by a two and a half month period of the waters receding, followed by 40 days after landing on the mountain of Ararat, followed by 14 more days before he knew it was safe to leave the ark. In total, Noah spent about one solid year on the ark. Can you imagine? 
And it wasn't just the rain and the water and the waiting. Noah was on that boat with hundreds of animals. One of my favorite TV shows, uh, they were debating uh, what was the smelliest day in the history of the world. And someone suggested Noah's Ark, day 100. If you've ever had the responsibility of caring for a large number of animals, which some of our farm families can relate to, or even if you've just had one or two pets, you know the challenge of feeding them and watering them and cleaning up after them. And in Noah's case, he had to make sure that they didn't kill each other because they were the only ones left. How could Noah and his family handle that environment and those responsibilities for an entire year? The only answer is that God supernaturally sustained them by His grace. And I haven't even mentioned the family part yet. Y'all, there were in-laws on the ark. Some of us get hives just thinking about the few hours we're going to spend with our families on Thanksgiving. Others of us really enjoy uh, being with our extended family, but can you imagine being cooped up on a boat with your extended family for an entire year? They make horror movies about this kind of thing, where people are shut up together. People who love each other are shut up together in a small enclosed space in an intense situation. The ark, the rain, the flood, the animals, the family. It must have been an insanely challenging year for Noah and his family. But as God's grace provided the ark to save them from his judgment, he also sustained them by his grace through the flood. And this reminds me of the hymn, How Firm a Foundation, and especially the fourth verse, which says, When through the deep waters I call thee to go, The rivers of sorrow will not overflow, for I will be with you, thy trouble to bless and sanctify to you your deepest distress. By grace, God saves Noah from the flood. By grace, he sustains Noah through the flood. And finally, we see in this passage that by grace, God sends Noah from the flood. God sends Noah. Having saved Noah from his judgment by grace and sustained him in every way when trouble was all around him, God now tells Noah to go out into a new life that waits for him, into a renewed creation. Let's look together at verses 15 through 19. Then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, You and your wives and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out every with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. (coughs) Excuse me. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the earth. God tells Noah, go. How does God's grace work in Noah's life? It saves him. It sustains him. And it sends him. 
Now, I believe that this is not merely a parable. I believe that this is a historical record, that this account of the flood and the ark, just like everything else in Genesis, is true. It really happened. And I believe that because God's word teaches it as a historical account. But it is interesting that as you look at the folklore of hundreds of different cultures and people groups all throughout the world, you will find a global flood narrative that is very similar in detail from culture to culture, people group to people group. There's a story about a flood and about a family who is saved through the flood, often on a boat. How can, how can that make sense? That we would find this story throughout all kinds of cultures that are separated by geography and language and culture. Well, it would make sense if all the people on earth today, those separated by distance and language and culture, are actually all descended from an actual family. They got on an actual boat and survived an actual flood. And then the descendants of that particular family told each of the members of their family the story of how God saved their patriarch through the flood. But not only do we believe this is a historical account, we also see a pattern in God's dealings with Noah that directly applies to us. We saw last week that even though there was a historic ark, that it prefigured an even greater reality. We said last week that the real ark is Jesus. Most of the time if I ask a question in church, if you say that, you'll get the answer right. The real ark is Jesus. We deserve the judgment of God and the wages of sin, just like all the people who lived on the earth at the time of the flood. But God so loved us God so loved Noah, he provided for him safe passage through judgment. God so loved us that he gave us his only son, Jesus Christ. When we trust in Christ, when we turn away from going our own way and turn toward God in faith, we are placed in Christ by faith. So that when Jesus, who as our substitute, did for us what we could not do for ourselves, when he lived a righteous life before the Father and then went to the cross to satisfy divine judgment on our behalf, we pass through God's justice safely like Noah did through the flood. That's what the Apostle Paul means when he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's what the Apostle Peter means when he says Christ also suffered once for all the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God. The real ark is Jesus. By his grace, God saves us in Christ. And I would ask you today, do you know him? Have you turned away from going your own way and to Christ? Are you on the ark? And if today you have not trusted your life to Jesus Christ, I would warn you that you are under God's judgment, that you are a sinner before a holy God, and that you need salvation. But I would also give you good news, that God, out of love for you and out of grace toward you, has provided safe passage through his judgment if you will repent of your sins and turn to Christ. All you need today is to feel your need of Him. All you need to do is cry out for the Lord's help because He loves to answer that prayer.
We also see that God, by His grace, sustains us in Christ just as He sustained Noah in the ark. I don't know specifically what most of you are dealing with today. I don't know the ways in which you're struggling. I don't know the ways in which you are sorrowing. I don't know the ways in which you are afraid. I don't know the things that are pressing in on you. But what I do know is that as a sinful, broken person who struggles often in a world of sin and sorrow and strife, that you can't do it alone. Because I have tried to do it on my own and I have failed every time. We must be sustained by something outside of ourselves or we will be lost. And the good news is that our God is tenaciously committed not only to saving us from His judgment, but He is also tenaciously committed to sustaining us. He will keep us in His grace. He will never leave us or forsake us. He will meet us in our deepest and darkest need with His sufficient provision. And there is no greater expression of this on earth than what we're about to do in the Lord's Supper. This supper preaches the good news to us in a tangible way. It is a means of God's grace to us and the Lord uses it to sustain us in faith. I love the way that one of the old Reformed confessions describes this. It's called the Belgic Confession and I just want to read it to you. It's beautiful. We believe and confess that our Savior Jesus Christ has ordained and instituted the sacrament of the Holy Supper to nourish and sustain those who are already regenerated and engrafted into his family, which is his church. Now, those who are born again have two lives in them. The one is physical and temporal, and they have it from the moment of their birth, and it is common to all. The other is spiritual and heavenly and is given to them in their second birth. It comes by the word of the gospel in the communion of the body of Christ, and this life is is common to God's elect only. Thus to support the physical and earthly life, God has prescribed for us an appropriate and earthly and material bread, which is as common to all as life itself. But to maintain the spiritual and heavenly life that belongs to believers, God has sent a living bread that came down from heaven, namely Jesus Christ, who nourishes and maintains the spiritual life of believers when Eaten, that is, when appropriated and received spiritually by faith. To represent to us this spiritual and heavenly bread, Christ has instituted an earthly and visible bread as the sacrament of his body and wine as the sacrament of his blood. He did this to testify to us that just as truly as we hold the sacrament in our hands and eat and drink it with our mouths by which our life is then sustained, So truly we receive in our souls to our spiritual life the true blood and true body of Christ, our only Savior. We receive these by faith, which is the hand and mouth of our souls. This banquet is a spiritual table at which Christ communicates himself to us with all his benefits 
at this table. He makes us enjoy himself as much as the merits of his suffering and death as he nourishes, strengthens, and comforts our poor, desolate souls by the eating of his flesh and revives and renews them by the drinking of his blood. By the use of this holy sacrament, we are moved to a fervent love for God and our neighbor. God saves us and sustains us by his grace. We also see at this table that he sends us, just as he sent Noah, go and be fruitful and multiply. He sends Noah out to a new life in a new creation? Well, he sends us out with a new life as a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This table reminds us that we are saved, sustained, and sent. And that even as we partake of this supper, we are proclaiming to ourselves and to the world the death of Christ until he comes. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on our time together around his table. Oh Lord, we are needy. We are hungry for you. Lord, we are dealing with fear and anxiety and betrayal and suffering and pain, and rejection, and sorrow, and loneliness, and hurt. And these things are not foreign to you. You not only know that we are going through them, Lord Jesus, you know what it is like to go through them yourself. Lord, we are wrestling with temptation and sin. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that the word says you were tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. So that you could be a merciful and faithful high priest to those of us who wrestle. Lord, we ask that you would meet us here with our need of salvation, our need of sustenance. That you would nourish us, that you would strengthen us, that you would comfort us, that you would proclaim the gospel to us again through these common elements. Lord, this is bread and juice. It will remain bread and juice, but let it be to us spiritually by faith, the true body and blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us now proclaim and hold to the gospel that saves us. And Lord, help us through this meal, provide for us a fervent love for you and for our neighbors, that we might be those who are saved and sustained and sent by your grace. Lord, please bless this time together around your table. Bless, sustain, nourish, and move your people. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.